Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. It's been going well. PulpHockey.com. Subscribe to it on iTunes. Get it on Stitcher. And, of course, uh, support the show if you can. Two under, the number two, UNDR, the best men's underwear out there. A lot of top uh, players in the, in the league are using two under. And we got a code, Ferraro20, shaves you 20%. So type that in when you check out at two under, the number two, UNDR.com. And uh, it'll give you a deal. Like I said, it's best best underwear out there. Check it out. And also, there's an Amazon banner on the site. Click on that banner. It takes you to Amazon. Make your regular purchase, and we get a small slice of that. So we hopefully you guys appreciate the shows we got going. We just did one with John Van Beesburg. Now up, uh, another stellar goalie, 15 years in the league, 271 wins. Lead analyst on uh, Sportsnet National Series, as well as the Flames Regional Broadcasts. Former New York Islander. Los Angeles King, San Jose Shark, Kelly Rudy, thanks for doing this, man. My pleasure, Steve. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, first off, right off the bat, when you meet fans, do they want to talk about your overtime classic against the Capitals, 93, Game 7 Leafs, or even 93, or the blue bandana you wore for 15 years? Okay. So it depends where I am. Okay. If I'm in, if I'm in Toronto, and I am often. Right. Uh, most people bring up the fact that we beat them in Game 7 uh, in the conference final before we went to uh, to play the Canadians in the finals, right. in fact, in 93. Uh, so if I'm in Toronto, people always bring that up, and they and it's a real compliment because they say they hate me. And yep. So that's a nice yep. thing to hear when you're the opposing goaltender and you win <laughs> in a visiting building and you go on the Stanley Cup Finals. But most often, I think people tease me about the bandana in a good way, right. and uh, I like it. I don't know if all that many people remember me playing in the uh, the Easter Epic uh, yeah. and uh, going back to 1987. It's so long ago now that uh, I will often, if people ask me that question about if I did play in that game, that will be it. It's not that they remember I played oh. it, just they were, they were curious if I did play it or not. Well, I didn't tell you this before we hit record, but yes, I'm a, I'm a massive Maple Leafs fan, and that hurt. <laughs> that really hurt. I, um, and that game's they, I love how they play it on uh, during the summer on the on NHL Network a lot. And uh, people forget though, it, it was a stellar third period by you. My, my guy Wendell had some shots, and I think yeah. uh, Andrew Chuck had a, a, a bang on in the crease one that you stopped. And uh, but uh, but you know which save was. Mo- the most uh, important save I made in my entire career. It was in that game, mm-hmm. and it was with about seven or eight minutes left in the third period, and Peter Zezel had a, a chance. He was wide open in the high slot, and he took a slap shot, and I was able to make a glove save and hang on to it. It wasn't the most spectacular-looking save, right. but it was the most important because at that time it was still 3-3. Mm-hmm. Um, it most likely would have been the game winner had uh, he been able to score on me. So for that reason, I really thought that was an important save. And, 
And I think one that's overlooked by most people. Yeah, yeah, I'll go back and look at it when it's on once again for the 100th time and just torturing me. So um, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But, uh, okay, so you're at CBC uh, doing a good job uh, covering the games that way. And uh, Roger Sportsnet gets the package. Were, were you one of their first calls? Were you taken care of right away? Were you sweating it a little bit? And how's the move been for you? Uh, I would think that if, if most people were honest, that when uh, Rogers got the deal and, and for us that were at uh, Hockey Night, we were nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a really good relationship, or I do have a really good relationship with uh, Scott Moore in particular, um, one of the key or the central figures in uh, with Rogers in terms of the broadcasting. So mm-hmm. I had that, which was uh, really comforting to know, and I sent him a text immediately the, the day that they signed the deal with the NHL. Um, but I didn't hear from Scott for, geez, I bet about another month. I, they had contacted some other people. Um, and so I had a call from Scott, uh, I want to say in December, maybe of that year. And he just said something like, uh, I'm one of the guys that are targeting. Okay. Uh, they'd love for me to come over and join them and to think about how busy I want to be. So it was a really <laughs> cool conversation. So I could sort of uh, do continue doing the studio analyst type stuff that uh, I was doing in Toronto right. on a continuing basis, or I can add some stuff. And uh, we had just a general conversation about what that might look, and then mm-hmm. followed up in, in January. And then he said, well, here's what I'm kind of thinking. He laid out a little bit of a plan. And then he said, when you get back from Sochi, because I was one of the broadcasters for Mm -hmm. CBC in Sochi, um, he said, then we'll reconnect and we'll sort of lay out a plan. And so that's how it kind of went. It it took about four or five months for Mm -hmm. the plan to sort of take shape. And then I didn't end up signing with them until August of uh, last year. And and now my life has been busier than ever. (laughs) In fact, I I had the best broadcasting year of my life last year simply because I have two different roles now, as you mentioned. I'm doing virtually every single Saturday in Toronto and every single day in Toronto during the playoffs. Plus, I do the regional Calgary Flames color package for about 60-some games. So I'm extremely busy. But the two of them, because there's two unique jobs, so color's far different than being a studio analyst. And you have to approach it differently. You prepare differently. And I really enjoyed that challenge. So that was really fun. I I calculated... I think there was something like 220 nights last year of NHL hockey, and I was on the road for 175 of them. So Jeez. the plan is, wow. yeah, it's a lot of work. But the plan is, and we've continued it this year, my wife joins me often. So last year I think she joined me seven times. She's already uh, joined me on one trip this year. So oh, that's good. if we're going to make this whole work thing and marriage work, <laughs> we've got to do something <laughs> differently. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Holy smokes. I was going to say, you you seem busy. I think last, or no, Saturday before you weren't in studio, and I thought that, mm, that's weird because, uh, you know, usually you're just there. You're, you're, yeah. you're around. So um, Yeah, I had two weekends in a row just uh, this past Saturday and the previous Saturday off from Toronto. I was yeah. working two weekends ago in San Jose doing a Flames color. Oh, okay. Um, and I think I'm in the studio the upcoming two Saturdays. I have uh, what you know, since you're from Winnipeg, we have uh, Boxing Day, which is the yeah. 26th of December. We have a game that night in Toronto, and they've given me that night off because I have to work back the 27th <laughs> in Calgary. So, Jeez, wow. Good, though. 
Um, whether it's yourself, uh, Glenn Healy, uh, Jamie McLennan, who I had on this last week, Darren Pang a couple weeks ago, Brian Hayward does the, the Anaheim Duck games, and I'm probably missing 10 or 15 other goalies. What is it about yeah, goalies? Yeah. What is it about you guys? Because honestly, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kissing your ass a bit here on the show, but <laughs> I, I like a lot of the goalies. I like, like, some of my buddies don't like my, uh, Glenn Healy. I like him. I like McLennan. I like yeah. yourself. Um, what is it about goalies that make, make such good analysts and, and color guys? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it, well, it makes perfect sense. And you're right. You did miss a few, and I think Daryl Ray's one. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chris, Mace, Chris Mason has taken it up uh, this year. I haven't had a chance to watch yet. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, he's doing national, and I just saw a really great interview. It might have been on NHL.com with Chris Mason, and he was talking about uh, his his transition into broadcasting and why it makes a fit, and mm-hmm. I agreed wholeheartedly with him. You talk to most of the goalie analysts out there, um, it, it really makes common or good sense because of the position. First of all, you have to really read a play, and not only what might happen, but you have to be – you might have to read a play in terms of what are his three or four options, right. not just one option that the puck carrier has. So in that sense, you have to really think the game. And then secondly, everything for the most part, unless the puck is below your goal line, everything's in front of you. Whereas skaters that are turning, the right. puck might be behind them. They've got different things that they're focusing on. So for us goaltenders, I just really feel that uh, you have a unique sense of the game. It, you see it uh, a little bit differently than the other players. And when you see it a little bit differently and then through the eyes of a goaltender, that's why I think it translates well to television or radio because you have to explain why something happened, right. not what happened, because the, the, the viewer can see that. Mm-hmm. They, but we have to tell them why something happened. And that was uh, a big remark when I first joined Hockey Night in 1995, I was still playing goal for the LA Kings, and we missed the playoffs by one point that year. Uh-huh. And the day we came home from uh, the fat last regular season game, which was in Chicago, I got a call from John Shannon. He was the executive producer of uh, Hockey Night in Canada, asked if I'd like to come in. By the way, I was his second choice, Steve. Uh, Wayne Gretzky was his <laughs> oh, first choice, damn it. for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wayne declined, so yeah. that was my road into uh, broadcasting further uh, after my career uh, ended but so the first guy that John Shannon set me up with was uh, John Davidson and Mm -hmm. John was kind enough to call me and give me some pointers about being an analyst and what you have to do and what your message uh, should sound like to a certain degree and so the one word that he said to me again was that why word and so for the longest time in all my broadcasts, I take a little note in front of myself and said, why, why, why? Mm-hmm. That was, uh, yeah, yeah. That's really one of the key things that I like to stress to uh, young broadcasters out there. If you're in that analyst role, that's, that's what your job description really entails. And I'm guessing because, I, like, I, okay, so, yeah, I, didn't, I don't remember the, the HNIC um, job while you were playing with the Kings, but I was going to say, it seemed like once you hung up the pads from San Jose, the next thing I know, you were on TV a lot. I'm guessing you just moved right into it. And did you ever want to be in management, goalie coach, assistant coach, or was it for you just um, just I want to be in media? I think I'm good at it. I, I think I can. I think I can make this a second career. I didn't know if I was good at it, but I had offers <laughs> right. in broadcasting, so that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and I, I, there's no question when you're a, a player and you're looking to transition into uh, 
a life outside of playing, uh, you think of many different things. So there's no question. I was intrigued by the idea of maybe going into management or coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but this broadcasting thing, it, I really liked it for a long, long time. Even before I was traded to Los Angeles, when I played for the New York Islanders, I really took the interviews that uh, uh, I had quite seriously. Not seriously, like, no fun. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. wanted to try and be good at them and to be somewhat different than other players. So I'd watch lots of hockey games, and not only the games, but I'd watch the intermissions and watch the broadcasters, watch how the players interact with the Oh, really, huh? So, wow, yeah. So I was, in, to me, I was always going to school in that sense all through my career. So anyways, uh, again, John Shannon contacted yeah. me when it was clear that I was going to retire. I had a couple of offers from some teams, but I was pretty much done. I, I didn't want to play anymore, and, and I was lucky because I, I, I was clearly done. I knew I was done. <laughs> I didn't have any of those right. second thoughts. But, but, but the good thing is, when I decided to retire in 98 and I, I was hired immediately by Hockey Night in Canada, I had something new to concentrate on, to really sink my teeth in. So sure. I didn't have time to even think, like, boy, I wonder if I could have still played or yeah. I wonder, you know, have any regrets. I just moved quickly into broadcasting and it was a real challenge, and so that's what I really enjoyed it because it was so unique, so different, right. um, and I could feel myself getting better over time. So that was that was cool. I was told that your real personality doesn't come out for about two years, and I would say mine was a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. I got three or four till I really started to feel like myself on a broadcast, and uh, and it's been amazing ever since. Can we get after hours back? Can we, can, is there anything, can you, can you do something about this? You know, what's really cool. I don't know if that show will ever come back, but I do love the fact that we get a lot of really positive feedback from it. I, I've worked with many people on that show, right. including uh, Scott Russell. Elliot was on it for a while. Uh, uh, Scott, Scott Oak, of yeah. course, he and I did it a lot. Right. Um, and it, it just had a really cool Canadiana feel. It, it was did. Yeah. Very simple. Right. Yeah, I mean, also too, like in the background, the there's trainers going by and people are loading totally. up equipment, and it was just you guys on some stools, and the guy's still yep. sweating from the from the game yep. or the shower, and like it's it was cool, yeah. And, and you know, I thought we got some really great answers from the guys, mm-hmm. and what really started to become kind of cool, I, and I can't recall what year this started when the change. Because it, it seemed for a while for a lot of guys, okay, it's kind of like a responsibility or duty, so I'll go on. Right. And then the show became quite good and is really enjoyable, I think, for not only the fans, but for a lot of players. They, they like to watch it. We'd get feedback like that. And then it was cool because uh, it started uh, with Daniel Alfredson and then other players. did. They started to ask if they could go on the show. Oh, really? You don't get oh, that wow. very often. Yeah. Where athletes ask the broadcaster if they mm-hmm. can be on one of their segments so that was really cool and i don't know if you've ever watched kevin bieksa um on live television yeah no i have yeah yeah, we had many many great guests guys that i really incredibly impressed by their uh candor and and uh Mm -hmm. so on but kevin bieksa was to me the best guest we ever had he he was he's very smart he's funny he teases you a little bit. Right. There's just there's something really cool about that guy, and I don't know what he intends to do once his playing career is over. But uh, as Glenn Healy says, 
from uh, retirement to death is a long time. So I don't <laughs> care how much money you had, you right. got to do something. So I sure hope at some point Kevin would decide or show some interest in getting him broadcasting because I think it'd be amazing. Yeah, it was a great show, and I'm I'm living on the West Coast, so it's not you know super late for me here. Like it's a nice right you know after the Saturday night games or whatever. So it worked out good on the West Coast, and yeah, I liked it. Like you said, for all the reasons you said, it's real. It was real. It felt unscripted. Sometimes there'd be mistakes or whatever, or you guys would be laughing yeah. or whatever. But I I liked it. So, anyways, yeah. yeah. Um, Thanks. Um, can, what? So going on to uh, the Flames and, and your regional broadcast, uh, they're they're turning it around a little bit. After a rough start, of course, they were the surprise of the league last year, and they're exciting to watch. Johnny Gaudreau and company are exciting to watch. Now, I'm just a guy on the couch. I don't watch other games. To me, Kelly, and you can expand on this, Mm -hmm. I don't think their goaltending has been what it was last year. And other than that, I mean, some people say Giordano's not playing as well and this, but what do you think has been the issue so far in Calgary? Uh, Well, all that you mentioned. (laughs) Okay. Every guy... Uh, hasn't I might be missing a couple, three guys. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, most of the guys haven't played quite as well as they did last year. We're, they're definitely showing signs that they're coming out of it now and mm-hmm. that they're getting closer to that level. Yep. Ramo, um, the goaltending was not good early. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramo has been really steady as of late. He's had a couple of games where maybe a bad goal or two, but for the most part, he's been really good in the last, I think he's played 14 in the last 15 um, so that has kind of settled things out a little bit. Giordano didn't have the best start. Uh, mm-hmm. He's coming off that really serious injury that to finish his season last year in New Jersey. Um, so he's been coming on. Uh, and I'd say most of the team, they've, they've been getting quite a bit better. Um, Joe Colburn is a guy that's been maybe better than right. uh, he was last year. He had a good uh, breakout season to a certain degree last year. He's been really good this year, really confident. But it's a team that the best way to describe it is that they were not nearly as tenacious to start the season mm-hmm. as the way in which they played last year. I mean, right. they were re- relentless last year. But they're getting back. They're showing signs of it. I would say maybe six or eight of the last 10, they've, they've been yeah. really close to where they were last year. And so if you're a Flames fan, uh, they're trending upward. Right, right. Yeah, it does seem like a little better lately. Yeah, like you said. Um, yeah. If Glenn Healy's on one side of a, of a color analyst, I'd say you're on the other side where you're a mostly positive guy from everything I yep. watch on TV. You're not, you know, Glenn is a little harsh on dudes, and that's fine. Like, I like that too. Yeah. So I don't imagine this question has that much uh, impact on you, but – in my job covering these motorcycle races, I, I do have to be critical of some riders and some teams for different things that happen, and I have yep. to go to the pits and see these guys, and sometimes they're not that pumped on me. Um, yeah. How's that for you? Again, you're a pretty positive dude, So, but you know the Flames have had some issues. So how is it for you being critical of some players, facing them in the room, dealing with all that kind of uh, uh, stuff that goes on with that? And, and, and maybe it's a parent or a yeah. wife or anything else, but oh, yeah, totally. how is it? That, that part's true. And, right. and you can tell you're in broadcasting when you know that. Aspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing how the parents uh, are the first to complain. Right. And it's typically <laughs> what happens in most cases. They hear something through the grapevine. Yes, they don't yes, actually, right. <laughs> they actually haven't watched the game. They haven't heard your actual comments. But 
somebody says, hey, did you hear that Rudy guy? He was ripping on your son or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it might have just been as critical of maybe something he did on maybe a decision or something. It wasn't really all that right. much. And and so the players are, in most cases, pretty good. But you're right. I don't have the same sort of broadcasting style as Glenn Healy or some of the others that yeah. might be more critical. But I have really gone after some guys. I mean, I've been doing it for about 18 years. So yeah. there have been a few guys that I've really gone after very uh, – very harshly mm -hmm. and uh you know i don't care what they think i yeah. really I, I i you know the other thing is why i don't really care is because i'm being fair and honest right i'm not i'm not a, a guy that's malicious and i don't i don't do it personally i don't attack their who they are personally other than maybe one guy i did years ago he's no longer in the game mm -hmm. but uh and and that would have been uh sean avery mm -hmm. or all the good reasons. Yeah. Because it was easy. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, guys, no. I mean. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got the credentials. Right. I mean, look, you played a long right. time in the league. You went, you know, you did a right. lot of things. So, hey, kid, yeah. hey, kid, I know what, I know what, you're not fooling me or whatever, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, like you said, for the most part, guys know that I'm, I'm being fair and I'm honest and I'm pretty positive. Like, I even, like, I do find it difficult uh Full disclosure here, I, I did find it more difficult doing the uh, Flames regional broadcast simply because I know all the guys and I really like them. Right. And But secondly, because it's different than doing a national broadcast. Mm -hmm. And I've had this conversation, Darren Pang, in fact, and I had this conversation with some other people that they've never worked a regional broadcast, and it's way different, trust me, because when you're on a national broadcast, you can say whatever you want. And uh, But when you are covering a particular team it's much more difficult and uh, you have home fans and you have the organization that mm -hmm. they're listening you have uh, it's just a different thing so you i do think that i am uh even kinder yeah. when i do a flames game than i would be on a national broadcast is that because burke's leaning over top of you swearing <laughs> swearing at Ryan you? and i actually we get along <laughs> so well in fact we've yeah. gone fishing many times so I don't worry well, about Brian. Some of the dudes in Toronto say that he was really bad with the media. And, and again, I'm only hearing one side or whatever, but some of the guys right. are like, dude, he reads everything, he watches everything, and he will send you a text full of swears. You know what I mean? So that's all. That's why I asked to make that joke. But. Well, he's done that to me, too. Okay, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, and it's, it's nice to know that, uh, obviously, I, I cover a much, much smaller sport. But, yes, I get the whole, hey, I heard you said this about me. And I'll be like, where did you oh, hear yeah. that from? Oh my my wife. Um, actually, that's not what I said. I didn't say that at all. Here's what I really said. <laughs> so yeah. comforting to know yeah. that happens to you too. Oh yeah, totally. It's funny. There's a, a big star a while ago, quite a few years ago, in fact, and uh, I, we basically were doing an infomercial in the inform, in in the intermission about how great he is. But I finished up with just one little thing about one thing I'd like to see him improve upon. Right. And next thing you know, the organization heard through somebody else. They didn't even see the segment that they said I was ripping on the guy. So they declined <laughs> us a, an, an intermission guest next time we had oh. them on hockey night. And and so I saw the PR guy. I'm like, well, did you even hear what I said? He goes, no. What? Well, okay. Uh, you can't do that then because, yeah. in fact, like I said, we did about four minutes where we just praised the player. <laughs> right. And then – at the very end, I said he'd. I'm sure he'd like to turn his or 
uh, transition his game into somebody like Joe Sackick or something right. at the very end. I mean, Jeez. I mean, isn't that another compliment, too, that at some point you might be as good as Joe Sackick? Yeah. Wow. wow. I can't believe anyone would deny a guess. Like that's, yeah, that is just sort of just cheese ball, you know? But, yeah. 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 Good to know what happens in, in hockey then. I feel much better about my oh, sport. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, one thing, let's talk about your career a little bit. Let's get in the time machine and go back. Now, again, I was just a kid uh, in, in, on a couch watching this. But So you come into the Islander organization, and, my, and I had two buddies who were just insufferable Islander fans. You know, sure. the, cups were, the cups were raining down, and, you know, you were right at the tail end of that. But So I had to deal with listening to them, and you were an up-and-coming kid playing uh, more and more games every year. Your partner was Billy Smith. Now, I don't know Billy Smith, but I've seen him on the ice. I've seen the way he acted. I've seen some of the interviews. Uh, This guy was gnarly, and he was intense. And um, How did he treat you, though? Like, look, in a sense, you were the hot new guy looking to take his job. The cup run was over. He was still a good goalie and everything, but how was that? Was he cool to you, or was it it weird? No, it's not weird at all. In fact, uh, go back to 1980 when I was drafted by the Islanders. Mm -hmm. I went to that training camp in September, which not all draftees are invited to training camp. It might take a year or two, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on where you are in terms of development. But I was lucky because they they invited me to camp. So if I recall correctly, I might have been number seven in line. So they had, as you said, Billy Smith. They also had, at that time, uh, Chico Resch. They had Roly Melanson. They had Richard Brodeur. They had a guy by the name of Jim Park that played for a lot of years in the WHA. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, there might have been somebody that I'm missing. Uh, but anyway, so you can see that I had a long way to go before right. playing in the National Hockey League. That, that September in 1980, when I went to camp, much to my surprise, uh, our first exhibition game was going to be in Chicago in the old Chicago Stadium. And, mm-hmm. and I was I played. They played me for two periods. Uh, Roly Melanson was the other guy. He played the third, and I couldn't believe it. Not only that I'm playing in a National <laughs> right. Hockey League exhibition game, but I'm playing in the Chicago Stadium, one of the the, the most iconic yeah. buildings in the National Hockey League. I let in five goals after uh, two periods. Uh, I had maybe made about twenty-five or thirty saves, and uh, it was really cool. But I think at that point, I recognized how far I was away from being a real national hockey mm-hmm. league goaltender. So I really had to put in a lot of work. I went back to junior, played another year. Then because of the Islanders' strength uh, and winning four consecutive cups, I went and played uh, for two years uh, in the minors, mm-hmm. which was a great experience for me. Nobody's goal or dream is to play in the minors. You know, Your right. goal and dreams are always to play in the National Hockey League. But at the, at the same point, I wouldn't have ever made it in the National Hockey League had I – not uh, played in the minors and we had a really good team we won the championship down there twice in a row and so then when i finally called up and made the team for good in 1983 it was just uh, billy and roly and i Mm -hmm. had the three goalie monster for that year and the following year they traded roly away to minnesota but billy always treated me exceptionally well we were we were fighting for the same net right we were competitors in that sense we pushed each other but the one lesson that Billy taught me more than any other lesson, and I, I used it the rest of my career whenever anybody else was trying to take my job, you know, there's, there's a job available for one of us, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to give it to you. And over time, I eventually 
earned that number one job in New York, but it was only because Billy taught me how to fight for it. I was never given anything. There was no sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Islanders didn't just give it to me because I was a high draft choice. I, over time, had to earn it, and that's the way I treated the rest of the guys that I played with. And I, I know from some of them, they really appreciated it as well, that they learned how to fight for everything, and they learned to battle. Right. And it suited them well in their careers also. Yeah, because this is, yeah, again, this is the kid, this is the perception of Billy Smith. Like, his, some of his interviews, too, were great, you know, <laughs> and he would be yeah. hacking at guys, and he's so intense. Yeah. The perception I would have would be that Billy Smith would be like, beat it, kid, you know? But that's cool. Yeah, that's good. Oh, no, we, yeah. we played tennis together often. Mm-hmm. Um, we, like, we hung out on the road often. We're dinner partners uh, a lot, like, he was fantastic. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. I still see him every once in a while. And it's it's awesome. Like you're right. People wouldn't no. wouldn't perceive him to be a, like a fun loving guy, but he's really he tells great jokes. He's mm-hmm. great stories with humor and everything. I I really uh, learned uh, uh, right. that he was a different person than what I expected. Also, I think too part of it was again we're both in the media. You much more so, but I think part of it too was you know the Oilers were coming up and the Canadian media. Was did they? I think they did want Gretzky and the, the high flying Oilers to win, and Billy was this animal in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so it was a little bit of that. Um, did you get to back up in that last year when uh, the Islanders uh, lost? Were you or was it Roly the goalie? No, Roly was yep. the backup. I was in the press box the whole time. So the whole time you're in Indianapolis, you're like they're mm-hmm. winning cups. They're winning cups. Hey guys, guys, I'd like to get a cup. <laughs> well. No, because you know I, I don't know. Um, I just felt that I there was still a long way to go. Yeah, uh, I, I I could really sense in in training camp that I was getting closer and closer every year, and then when I finally knocked down that door in 1983, mm-hmm. um, as Bill Torrey, he was the manager of the Islanders at the time, and what he said to me my last year or my second year in Indianapolis. Uh, he thought that there were points uh, where I looked maybe bored, that the competition wasn't quite what I needed. Oh, okay. So so when I did make the Islanders in 83, there's no question that the competition was there. It's the highest league mm-hmm. in, the, in the world, and and uh, I found my place. But uh, I, I w- was never one of those guys that I was looking around see some of the friends that I played with or some yeah. of the guys, goalies that I played against, uh, whether it was in junior or in the minors. They were getting their opportunity, and I wasn't. I just recognized that my the situation I was in was different. Mm-hmm. And, hey, I mean, we were playing well and we were winning championships. I, I didn't want to be one of those guys that gets called up for eight or ten games every every right. year for two or three years and then totally disappears. So they, they brought me up properly, and that's why, thanks, Steve, to this day, I'm a firm believer in guys should go and spend time in the minors, unless, of course, you're an absolute phenom like Sidney Crosby or sure. a few others. But for the most part, I really think time in the minors is, is it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like it, but it is a, a blessing. Yeah, and getting off track here a little bit, and again, taking it to my favorite team, the Leafs, I, I'm glad Bernier accepted this thing, this, uh, this minor league assignment, just to get some games, and he has two shutouts now, and Hopefully he can get his confidence and turn it around. But, you know, he had every right to say, like, no, I don't want to go, you know. So. Yeah. That, just, that really tells you how far he had fallen, though. Right, right, that yeah. Was, that's the step that he thought. Because I, my personal feeling is that that's the last step that you should consider. <laughs> right, right, and so right. for him to do it mm-hmm. and to be okay 
he he recognized how far his game had fallen. And yeah, yeah you're right. Like, I mean, he's done extremely well, and he should be awfully uh, proud of himself. But now he's got to try and find a way to do it in, at the NHL yeah. level again because it's, you know, this game just beats you up mentally, and that's the problem. I think you were telling me, or not telling me, I heard on one of the Hockey Night Canada interviews on uh, XM Radio a few years ago, that in San Jose, your last stop, I don't know if it was the last, the first year or the second year, you yeah. were just, and you talked about it a little bit earlier in this show too, but you were down in the, like, you were just struggling. You were just like, I, I, I can't get to that puck. I used to be able to, now I can't. Yeah. And like, I mean, Bernier is much younger in a much different spot than you were, but at some point you were pretty low. Mm-hmm. You, you made it sound out to be like, as far as your, your skills as a goalie. Yeah, the, it was. For sure, I noticed it. I only played two years in San Jose. My first year, I I played well at times, uh, as well as I ever had. Mm-hmm. But it was a, it was a struggle um, in other parts also. So I had a really good season. I had an average season yeah. in different stretches. Right. But then when I went into my last year, uh, I knew it was going to be my last year. I had uh, basically told my entire family that uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to retire. And what was really difficult, uh, a number of things. Um, I had to really get mentally ready to practice because it was a, a younger team. They were energetic. They were mm-hmm. good. And practice didn't come as naturally as it should. And that that's very troubling because you should easily be able to practice at the highest level if you've been there for as long as I had. But I noticed my skills starting to erode a little bit. Um I was, you know, go back to my last year in Los Angeles, 95, 96. Mm-hmm. It seemed like for the longest time I was never in the trainer's room. And then my last few years, it seemed like I could never get out of it. I was always hurt with some nagging thing or there right. was always something that was beating me up. But I guess the thing that really grabbed my attention more than anything, and I told my lawyer this when I told him that I was going to retire, that it's very simple. The wins don't seem quite as special anymore, <laughs> right. and the losses don't hurt as much. Oh, and wow. Yeah, yeah. For me, was the, the number one thing because after every single game for the longest time, I couldn't fall asleep till say, 3 or 4 in the morning because I was so jacked that we won or I was so pissed off that we lost. It was right. one of the two. So, yeah. and, and that was sort of starting to disappear, and, and I knew that was uh, not a healthy thing. Back to the Islanders. When you got there, uh, Bossy, Trache, Potvin, what a room! Wow, walking yeah. into that. How how were those dudes? How were those guys? Like, I mean, Bossy just just amazing skills, and Trache, of course, was the two way guy, and Potvin Norris Trophy. He was you know near the end, but at you know at one time one of the best players in the league. Yeah, that must have been pretty cool. And you sound like a fan, so you're you know you're into oh, the yeah. game. You know these guys, you know. Yeah, as a teenager, the first uh, or maybe the only NHL jersey that I ever bought was a Clark Gillies no. uh, hockey jersey. So right. when I told him that, that was kind of <laughs> awkward. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was very intimidating going in that room, but those guys are really accepting of me. They were just outrageously good guys, right. just really nice, humble guys. Um, and I've maintained relationships with most of them, even oh, even cool. though most of us live in different cities and so on. We'll bump into each other in mm-hmm. certain places and so on. 
But I was a really good listener. You wouldn't know it from this conversation because I'm talking a lot. But uh, one of my qualities, I think, as a person is I'm a really good listener. And back then, I would not have talked very often. I would have just been right. keeping my eyes on what the guys are doing, how they're preparing, what they're saying, all everything about preparation for the games and so on. And I'd emulate the guys that uh, were really impressive to me. And that was a room full of impressive guys. So that was pretty easy. And... I was just, I was so fortunate that I went to that organization, a winning organization with those quality of people. Because as you know, if you go to a bad organization, a losing organization, you're not surrounded with the same sort of people always. And Mm -hmm. uh, so as luck would have it, I was in the right place at the right time. If it's possible for someone who scored 50 goals nine straight years and only missed out on again because of his back problems, Mike Bossy might have been underrated. Like seriously. I mean, I know the goals were up. The goals per game were up right. and everything back then, but wow. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was ridiculous. He <laughs> he seriously could score from anywhere inside the uh, offensive blue line. He yeah. was that dangerous. His shot was that difficult to stop. His release was so uh, amazing, and he had deception in there. Uh, all sorts of amazing qualities, that guy. And what most people don't uh, remember about Mike mm-hmm. is that he was bigger than you think. I, I I remember as a fan, as a kid playing junior and so on, and just in awe of his abilities, but thinking he looked like a kind of scrawny kind of guy. Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and much much to my surprise, I was wrong. He was 205 pounds of pure muscle. He hmm. was – yeah. that, that's one of the reasons why he was so great. I mean, he out-muscled people for pucks and – he just wasn't going to be denied. But that was the one guy, I mean, just in terms of that. I, I remember that going back to that flight to Chicago for my first mm-hmm. preseason game. We were on a commercial airline, and Brian Trotche was uh, on one side of me, and Mike Bossy, because they were best friends, was on the other side. I was in the middle. Of course, team, you're a rookie, right? And, so you're in the middle. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all I remember, and I know this is going to sound awkward, but <laughs> Mike was wearing a, like a golf shirt, a short sleeve golf shirt, and I couldn't take my eyes off his Forearms are enormous. <laughs> Jeez, I'm this right. I'm this skinny little runt, and this guy is just ripped. Like holy. And and then in practice, he's just putting them in the top shelf, just all day on you. Anywhere, yep. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. Hey, when you got traded to the Kings, um, did you know it was coming? Did you? Did it surprise you? Was it, it looks like it was later in the season. I don't know if it was right at the deadline or not. But um, what? How did that? How'd you take that? And how was it? No, I didn't know it was coming, and uh, I didn't take it well at first. I, uh, I was shocked. Okay, I was like yeah, yeah. Everybody, I was, yeah, I was like everybody else. I thought uh, I was hoping I was going to be Steve Eiserman. Right, you know, right. You're playing one <laughs> organization your whole career. You win championships and so on. So the afternoon that uh, I guess the official day was uh, a Wednesday I got traded. I can't recall. It was late in February. It was not at the trade deadline, but it was getting close to mm-hmm. it. And there had been no rumors. Uh, and then, so we were playing at home versus the Detroit Red Wings. And I'm having my afternoon nap, and my wife comes in, and she never would wake me up during my afternoon nap getting ready for a game. She goes, uh, you know, I just got a call from our lawyer, and he said we're getting traded to Los Angeles. <laughs> and I was kind of like, well, you know, rumors. She goes, yeah, no, yeah. like, yeah. this is serious. We right. are getting traded. And so I got up. And I'm expecting a phone call from somebody or whatever. And Greg Gilbert and I were car- 
carpooling that night uh-huh. for the game. So I mentioned to him, I said, you know, I think I'm getting traded. He's like, no, I haven't heard anything. So I get to the rink and I'm expecting somebody in the organization is going to say, hey, sure. the other guy's playing tonight. And yeah. No, I played and I was horrible. I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> I mean, I'm getting traded right, here. Right. Like, nobody's talking to me. And yeah. I can't recall what we lost, but I bet it must have been like five to two or something. So after the game, we we're going to fly to Buffalo. We played there the next night. Now Arbor comes up to me, and I love Al. I mean, mm-hmm. I miss him dearly. But he came up to me and said, you're staying home tonight. We're going to rest you. And so, of course, I knew something was up. How would and the lawyer? So had, how would your lawyer have gotten this info though that much ahead of time? I heard later that uh, John Davidson, the broad, yeah. was the broadcaster at that time for MSG, the Rangers, he got a tip from somebody. Oh, okay. So it was not right. until the next morning that uh, Bill Torrey called me to, and told me, and he wanted to come me to come to Nassau Coliseum and tell me personally. And then later that afternoon, I was on a plane to Los Angeles. That's how quickly it happens, and so. Unexpected. I hated it at the start, um, and then it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened in my hockey career. I mean, yeah. not only not only as a hockey player, but as a person. I grew the most, changed the most when I went to Los Angeles, and uh, it was cool. It was a great living experience, a great hockey experience, and uh, I really always look back on those days very fondly. Yeah, the two Islander fans I grew up with, they were pissed. Mark Fitzpatrick and Wayne McBean. They were not oh, happy yeah. with this return. They were not happy with it. So, <laughs> and then Doug Crossman was thrown in later. Oh, was he? Okay, yeah, Doug Crossman, right. <laughs> Actually, Ferraro was traded for Doug Crossman. Uh, you guys oh, have something in common. Yeah, he was traded from uh, Islanders to Hartford for Crossman. Oh, wow. Or the other <laughs> way. Yeah, something like that. So he was traded for Crossman. Um, uh, real, uh, real quickly, we won't keep you too much longer. Kelly Rudy on the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Uh, thank you for doing it, Kelly. Um the run to the finals in 93, so you get there, it's Gretzky, it's Nichols, it's Curry, it's just a rock star team. And you, you get there, and uh, you know, you're kind of emerging, emerging, it seems like there's more and more Oilers joining you guys all the time. Um, the run to the finals, uh, you know, people don't realize this, but you were kind of in the same page, same uh, area as Montreal, like two teams at... 500 teams, you were four games above 500. I don't know what the halves were. They weren't much more. And Mm -hmm. you guys just caught fire. Like, do you remember a a point in those playoffs, in those 93 playoffs? And and please don't tell me it was against my my Leafs. But (laughs) was there a point where you were like, hey, we got something here. Like, we can can really do this. Yeah, it was, uh, in my opinion, it was the second round versus the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Mm -hmm. We, We had a really good season that year. Um, going back to the start, even though we were missing uh, Gretzky for about right. the first three months, he had that terrible injury that uh, we, in fact, didn't even know if he was going to make it back or if it was going to be a career-ending injury. It was a back injury, Luckily right? For us, yes, yeah. that's right. And so he ended up joining us in February, or I mean, excuse me, January. But for whatever reason, I got off to a great start, but around December 1st and for full two months, I went into the worst slump of my career. I, like, I... I was terrible. I went from being okay to the worst goalie in the National Hockey League without question. So finally, with the help of my coach, Barry Melrose, um, he introduced me to Anthony Robbins. And I don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 of course. So I was able to work with Anthony uh, personally and uh, write my career and get it back on track and find the mental toughness that somehow I had lost. And so we started – play really well again in February and March. We had signs where we're coming on. We got through a really tough first round uh, playoff series versus the Calgary Flames. Mm -hmm. Uh, Luckily for us, um, Mike Vernon, the 
great goaltender for the Flames sprained his ankle in one of the early games, and so he missed, I think, the last two or three games. So with that benefit, we were able right. to move on. And then we ended up playing a really good Vancouver Canuck team. I, I mentioned this to Wayne one time. Uh, I thought that the series that we played versus the Canucks in that playoff mm-hmm. season, 92-93, was the best hockey our team ever played. We were able to get through them in six games. I wasn't surprised the following year when Vancouver went to the Cup Finals. Right. That I thought so highly of them. But Wayne, Wayne didn't agree with me. He said that he thought the best hockey we played was the next series versus the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a seven-game series. Yeah. It was a little bit more defensive, but maybe that's why I think of the Vancouver Canucks series was so unique and special and must have been amazing for the fans to watch because this was – Two outrageously powerful, high-skilled teams yeah. exchanging chance after chance, and it was just—it was really thrilling hockey to be a part of. I've got a game on my on my iPhone. I watch a classic game. I've downloaded. Uh, it's it's you guys in Calgary, and it's eleven nine, and it's a playoff game. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Uh, Gilmore gets a hat trick. Uh, Joe Otto. Got, uh, everyone got hat tricks. It seemed like uh, oh, it was nuts. Um, those are the, those were the uh, the early nineties folks in, in NHL yeah, hockey, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, and then when you got to the finals, I don't want to talk about the Leafs series, but when you got to the finals um, against the Habs, like they had, that was the year. So three of the four went to overtime, right? And I think, yeah. and I think they won something like nine other or nine total games in overtime, or maybe seven. They just, it was just destiny, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. God, right? Yeah. I mean, you hate to say that because who knows what that means? But gee whiz, it just right. seems looking back on it, they were they were meant to win, huh? Yeah, well, we got off to a great start. We won the first game 4-1 in mm-hmm. Montreal, and that was a really cool experience. Again, going back For sure. to the iconic buildings in the National League, uh, the Montreal Forum. So that was a very cool experience, having playing the Stanley Cup Finals there. And then we had a 2-1 lead with uh, a minute something to go in the third period of Game 2 in Montreal. And we could tell in their eyes, every athlete knows this feeling, when you look in your opponent's eyes and you can see yeah. that they've lost hope. Right. And unfortunately for us, the penalty was called against <laughs> yep. one of our guys, and they ended up tying the game and then won in overtime. But and we knew about their overtime record, and I can't recall what it was. I think you might be right in nine. But something some like reason, that. It was, they might have won like 11 in a row or something. It was nuts. But right. It's nuts, right? But anyways, that was going into the second and third game or I'm sorry, the third and fourth mm-hmm. game at home, and when they both went to overtime, my immediately my immediate thought was to turn it into a positive. Well, time is on our side. Mm-hmm. We're due. I mean, yeah. they're not going to continue winning overtime games like you know right. every single game. It just it do- doesn't happen. Well, unfortunately for us, it did. So we ended up losing in five games. Lost three in a row in overtime, but yeah, we uh, we really had a really great team, and but still to this day, and I I can't speak for all of my teammates, but I I assume I'm correct in that that is my worst hockey memory uh, of all. Well, losing in the finals is just a horrible feeling, and one that I just have not gotten over yet. Well, nowhere on the same level, but you're responsible for my worst hockey feeling ever. You're <laughs> almost single-handedly responsible for it. So there you go. Hey, the okay. McSorley illegal stick, lots of urban myths about this thing. Um, he knew it was illegal. The Habs had a trainer crawl through the roof and look at it. Um, you guys told Marty, hey, put you guys switched sticks near the end of the game. What really happened, or what do you know what really happened? 
Um, I don't know a lot. Okay. I was on the ice, so yeah, I yeah. don't know what discussions might have been had on the bench and all those sorts of things. I do know that when it occurred to me that there's going to be a stick measurement call, mm-hmm. yep. what my first thought was, great, because it's going to be on me. They're going to measure my goalie. Ah, uh, okay, yep. Because um, I every single practice, especially on the road, I would, after our morning skate was over, I would leave like a broken goalie stick of mine uh, around the bench or something for okay. the other team to find. And it, would, it was always, oh. in, it had an <laughs> illegal blade. Really? Good move. Yep. Good move. Yeah. And I had, I, <laughs> I did use an illegal stick for usually the first two periods of every game. Oh, wow. And then in the third period, I'd switch to a legal stick of which I had marked differently yep, so yep. only i knew which was legal and which was not legal and none of my teammates know knew either and in case they were traded or something they right, would right. of course know which would be a sure legal or illegal stick so my immediate thought was great come grab my goalie stick. right but yeah unfortunately it was marty's and and uh, the other stuff i don't know of right I know you've heard it right you've heard about it right i've heard all yeah, that, yeah. But i just know from a goaltender standpoint what my job was to do is stop the puck on the power play, and I didn't. So yeah, I take it. I take it personally that way. I don't blame Marty or anybody else. Yeah, no, it was a it was a credit shock to Maris, I guess, and uh, whoever else pulled that out because you know it's a penalty on them if they're wrong. So yeah, yep. Um, yep. That, that takes some it takes some balls to, to do that. Sure. Uh, a couple of quick hit quick hits for you here before we go. Uh, you didn't switch to the traditional goalie cage until you got to San Jose, I believe. Maybe I'm, my memory is wrong, but. Forever, you had the helmet with a cage. Did, what, what was the what was up behind that? What kind of thought? Did you just ever try you know, it? And, I, and what happened? No, I I did go to the uh, the newer style when I was in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. I think it was it was the year it was ninety three ninety four. I switched to the more conventional, more recent type thing, and and the reasoning was very simple. When I was playing for the Islanders, uh, I did try one of those. Uh, Mm-hmm. The newer style, the the mask with the uh, the new style cage, not not just the old helmet and cage, and you know, frankly, the technology wasn't very good back then. Okay. I didn't like what I was wearing, and it was very very heavy. So, not until the materials improved over the course of uh, a number of years did I feel comfortable enough, uh, not only in terms of protection but in right. terms of weight. And so that's why when I went to uh, that mask, it wasn't until 93, 94, and then I wore it, what, for five years, I guess. And then you were like, hey, these things finally work, right? Um, yeah, totally. Uh, who did you fear more, Gretzky or Lemieux? Or was there another guy? Am I missing someone? Was there somebody who you – Pavel Bure. Bure, yeah. Pavel, Pavel would be up there for sure, right. considering I played in L.A. for a long time. Yeah. And he was with Vancouver, and we played him a boatload of times every single oh, season. So it so seemed fat. like every game he had two or three breakaways. And, yep. I mean, he was a remarkable player. But going back in my time, I mean, I hated playing guys like Tim Kerr and Pierre LaRouche and all these amazing Pierre guys. Pierre LaRouche. Uh, there's you, oh, there's yeah. you pulled that one out. Yeah, he was a good scorer. There you go, yeah. exactly. And then uh, the two guys you mentioned, though, Lemieux and Gretzky were different. Mm-hmm. You feared them. I think equally because they did different things. I mean, Mario might've had just a touch more talent. So individually he might've been maybe just a hair more dangerous, but Mm -hmm. I always thought Wayne 
had the ability to make everybody else on the ice more dangerous than Mario. Did. Right, and, right. And only we're splitting hairs here. Yeah, right? of course. Mario, right. right. So was, he was an amazing playmaker as well. But you're talking about two guys that did incredible things, but just a little bit differently. Um, the uh, the Canada Cup, 87 Canada Cup, you were on the team. Were you backup yeah. or not dressed for those those? Iconic games. What, what was the? What was your stats? Yeah, Ron Hextall was the other goaltender, yep. along with, of course, Grant Fear played mm-hmm. every game, and Ron Hextall and I rotated every game. Okay, so we were backing up. Uh, um, so do one, I do one. Were so. you game three or game two? I was game two. Okay, and, which was kind of weird because you'll recall they all went to overtime, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it, this game was going into double overtime. So this is the same year, uh, just a few months earlier, in which we had we played quadruple overtime, the right. Islanders versus the Capitals in what is called, as you remember, the yeah. Easter Epic. So I had that experience. So I'm walking into the dressing room from the players' bench after the first overtime, and Gretzky comes up to me and says, hey, you have lots of uh, overtime experience. You played that long overtime game. Mm-hmm. We're going in a second overtime here. I want you to stand up and tell us what it's like and what to be ready for. <laughs> and I'm saying, what? I'm in a room of hockey legends. Right, right. And they've all won mul- multiple cups and individual awards like you can't believe. And sure. he's telling me to stand up. And so I did. And I just talked yeah, yeah. to him about what my experiences were. And I think I might have said something like, uh, be most prepared uh, in the first two minutes of the the overtime mm-hmm. and most prepared in the last two minutes. Because that, to me, yeah. my thinking was uh, that's when most goals are scored because you're not quite settled into play. You're not quite committed to play in the first two minutes. And lastly, in the last two, you let your mind wander and you think it's going into another overtime. And I was statistically proven to be... <laughs> <laughs> Almost, Almost right. Accurate. About a few years later, I mean, just a few years ago, I was uh, sharing that same sentiment on Hockey Night in Canada, and uh, Chris Snow from the Calgary Flames, their analytics type guy, yeah. he sent me a quick note saying, statistically, it's actually the first three minutes and the last three uh-huh. minutes. So wow. I got five minutes. And I and you were a leader in analytics in 87. <laughs> and I didn't know it. <laughs> um, well, you're, oh, the ice is so good, too, early, you know? And that's a, something I think yeah, right. you, you think about, yeah. too. The ice is so good. Uh, what a series, though, 87. God. And uh, at one yeah. point, I guess fear was just never coming out of the net, though. So you were kind of... No, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 again, back in 87 with all those players that were uh, Hall of Famers, most of them on both sides, or at least they should be. And uh, I had played in the world championships the year before for Canada in 86 in Moscow. So I had already played against uh, the Lariana, Krutov, Makrov line. And I played against Fetisov and Mm -hmm. his great partner, Kasatonov, back then. So I knew a lot of their players. I played against uh, uh, Valerie Kamensky. He scored on me one game in Moscow. The puck literally went through the net, and of course, there was no video replay back then. Right. So I got lucky. He scored, and nobody believed that the puck went in, but went in and out, and uh, so we kept playing. I was lucky. Yeah, and really. All right. Uh, last question for you: Is there a goalie that played in your era? And there was, a, you know, you played a long time. You played 15 years. But is there a goalie in your era that maybe doesn't get enough credit? Maybe played for some losing teams for years, or somebody that you stood across from and, and often stood on his head that maybe 
us fans, media, don't talk about as much and say has no hope of a Hall of Fame or anything like that. But is there somebody that comes yeah. to mind? Two. Uh, and it's very easy. Andy Moog and uh, Mike Burnham. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hockey Hall of Famers, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I can't, I, I'm just off the top of my head. I don't know where they stand in the all time wins list, but they're both top 10, if, yeah. if I remember correctly. And both Stanley Cup winning goaltenders. And for, for me, for the life of me, I have no idea why they're not uh, talked about in that same mm-hmm. uh, category as other goalies that are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. They're, they're, they're amazing goaltenders, and I knew it was a, a battle every night playing against them. Right. Well, Kelly, thank you for doing this. I kept you a little bit longer. I apologize for that, but uh, great interview, and I uh, love the candor and the stories and everything else, and uh, uh, terrific job on Sportsnet, and uh, it's great to, uh, to have you on. Thank you for doing the Paul Pocky Podcast. My pleasure, Steve. It was a lot of fun catching up and telling old stories. Yeah, no doubt, and and you've got some great ones. Thanks again. (laughs) Okay, I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye.